Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Peace, the United Methodist community. We're so excited that you are with us. My name is Jason Steffenhagen. I'm the lead pastor here. So our sacred story reading, our scripture reading today, comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 43 through 47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your heavenly parent. For God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So last week, we started a series called How We Grow. We're looking at the way in which our spiritual lives develop over time through the course of our life. Like any form of growth, spiritual growth requires some work. Just think of the body wanting to get stronger and needing to work out. It takes the tearing down of muscles and the rest to let those muscles come back a little bit stronger the next time over and over again in order for the body to get stronger. Similarly with our faith, it takes effort, it takes time, it takes sometimes tearing some stuff apart and then letting it rest so it can come back together stronger. And so that is what we are looking at in this series is what does it mean for us to grow spiritually? The kind of guiding uh, idea here is that we are going to be looking at part two, and it's disordered development. Now, I don't mean disorder as in like a clinical diagnosis disorder. What I mean is that sometimes we in life, we feel like things are kind of in order, right? It's like a house that's like put together well. You know where all the dishes go. You know where the, the linen closet has the right things, and you know what's in the storage room and where it is for Christmas and when to pull it out for New Year and when to pull this out for Halloween, and everything feels like it's in order, and you know where everything is, and then you go into a disordered house, and whoa, man, you can't find a thing. It's like going into our storage room at the moment. Um, we, we have these two giant dogs, right? We have a 100-pound St. Bernadoodle and a 70-pound Black Lab, and what we realized is that the Black Lab was really good at not going into the kitchen and not eating anything at all. But then when the St. Bernadoodle came along, the kitchen became a free-for-all. And that thing is so tall that it can actually knock things off of the refrigerator. I kid you not. It stands up on its top legs. And it's just, when, it, when it reaches up, it's as tall as I am. And it knocks things off the refrigerator. So we thought on top of the fridge was safe. It's not safe. Even in something sealed, it knocks it off, and then they eat all the chocolate in the house, and then you all know what happens with dogs and chocolate. Not a fun experience for the Steffenhagen family. So what we needed to do was kennel them when we're not home, which we didn't love doing. We loved letting them just kind of enjoy the living room, enjoy the house. And so what we decided is, okay, they're, they're tearing up the place, so we're just going to put them in the kennel, which that meant that the storage room became the dog room, which meant that everything is now disordered, right? And so we have to figure out how to bring some order back to it, and our house is a little chaotic at the moment. And so what we're talking about today is that in order for us to grow, a little disorder isn't a bad idea, and it's actually really, really normal. Our, uh, our kind of key verse for this entire series is Romans 12.2, and I'm reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Now, that idea, that first part of that verse there, is, is both something God is doing, like through the Spirit, that God wants to remold us, 
but we have to have effort. We have to recognize that that is necessary, and we have to be willing to unlearn some things. That's what we talked about last week, is that when we build these foundations, when we build the container for our life, sometimes we have to unlearn some of what we've created that container with, because some of it's not healthy. Some of it isn't accurate to who God really is, or accurate to who you are. Right? Some of us have these ideas about what the world or our parents or somebody's told us about who we are, and it's not accurate, and we need to unlearn some of those things that we've held to be true for a long time. So don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all God's demands or expectations or hopes, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That's what we're after this movement towards true maturity where we can be at work for God's kingdom and we can move towards the kingdom of God where we are family and we are connected. Okay, I read from Matthew chapter 5. At six different times in that chapter, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. What's going on in that? Some of you know exactly what's going on, that Jesus here is taking these Old Testament ideas, this kind of Jewish understanding of how things are ordered, how things have been planned out and put together, and he's saying, hey, we've been taught one thing, but we need to unlearn that and be taught a new thing. We need to go a different path here. What, the way we've been going isn't a healthy one. And so I read the idea about how we treat our neighbor, how we, how we treat someone different from us, right? You've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. In the first century and in the ancient Near East, man, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you did something to me, I got you back. If you weren't part of my group, then I had to defend my group by taking, taking you out first. I mean, it was, it was, it was vicious. It was hard. It was, it was not kind. It was not hospitable. And so here comes Jesus, and he's saying, we are under persecution from the Romans. We have no standing or very little standing, and yet, and yet, we are going to do this whole thing differently. We're going to do the opposite of what everyone expects. They think that we're going to treat our enemy as an enemy, and that we're going to try to get them back, and that we're going to try to fight back, but we are going to do it so different. It's going to look like radical upside-down kingdom love. It's going to be beautiful. And so Jesus here is trying to get people to think differently, like Paul says in the book of Romans. Unlearn so that you can relearn a different way of being in the world. So last week I prepared you, and I think we held it together okay that this is going to be fairly nerdy. It's going to turn into Professor Steffenhagen for a little while. So let's do a little review of what we learned last week. So we used Richard Rohr's model. To, I, I call this, this isn't what he calls it, but this is what I call it, disordered development model. In this model, we have the order that we've talked about. We move into a place of disorder. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then ideally, we move to a place of reorder. Okay, so that was the Richard Rohr model. And so today, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be in a place of disorder? What happens in our faith? What happens in our lives when we feel that sense of disequilibrium in, in life, in our faith? We also talked about James Fowler's stages of faith. We talked about the magical, kind of that two to six-year-old range where we believe everything we're told. We like, man, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, all the Marvel characters, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. It's all real. It's all fantastic. It's so great. Daniel in the lion's den, all of it. We believe all of it, right? Why? Because we believe everything when we're kids. 
we, we, we think that we can actually get to the end of a rainbow and find a pot of gold. Like, we try to do that, right? Kids think they can dig far enough down and end up in China. Like, that is just what we do. We are kids. We believe. We try. We think. Everything is true and magical and wonderful, and that's what it means to be a child. And that's sometimes where we have these very firm conceptual, conceptualizations of who God is, and we might need to unlearn some of that. Because the most nuanced, deepest, most thoughtful, theological understanding of God is probably not what we're given at the age of five. And so, if we're holding on to a picture of God from that time, we may need to do a little unlearning. And that's okay. Two, we move into this literal stage where we have to have an answer and a response for everything. Everything needs to be logical, literal, and reasonable. And if it's not, then we, then we don't know if it's, we can hold on to it. And so we have to come up with rationale for everything. And so we see kids asking the most interesting questions. Well, how did Jesus walk on water? How did Daniel survive the lion's den? And we see you know, kids start to question, like, you know, I, I really don't know if the Hulk is real. And you're like, yeah, welcome to Earth. Like, the Hulk is not real. There are no gamma rays going into a human body and making someone into a giant green monster who can't control his rage unless he's angry all the time. And so for all you Marvel fans out there, you're welcome for that. Okay, once we realize that we can't possibly know everything, and eventually we come to that conclusion somewhere in our teen years or a little bit younger, some of us hopefully when we're younger, right, we come to the understanding, I can't know everything, who around me seems to be doing okay, and they don't know everything, but they at least have answers to some of the big questions like, how do we get here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Where is it all going in the end? So we turn to our parents. We turn to our peers. We turn to influencers on TikTok. We turn to celebrities. We turn to the church. We turn to uh, other groups that we're a part of, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever it is. We turn to these institutions and people that we see as trustworthy, and we say, you seem to know how to navigate this. How do I do it? And that's that external type of faith. We look to those outside of us to help answer life's biggest questions. And it's beautiful and it's necessary and it gives us that order, that foundation of how life is to be lived. And when all of the influences in our life line up, it creates a really beautiful container, but it can also become a really solid container. And it can be one that becomes pervasive. And so for me in my life, my parents, my grandparents, my church, my youth pastor, my friend group, it was all saying the same thing. The music I was encouraged to listen to, all of it had the exact same narrative. And so my container got to be really, really strong. And, and that's okay, because it gave me a beautiful foundation to appreciate my faith, to appreciate specific relationships, and to appreciate the Bible, which I still talk about to this day. And so I appreciate it. However, sometimes the containers that we create, sometimes the foundations that we're handed or that we build or that are built around us and for us aren't actually the healthiest. Sometimes they are, sometimes maybe they're just not us. Maybe it's just not who we are and we need a, a different thing. And so what can happen in life is we meet some disequilibrium. And so this kind of progression of faith development 
gets shattered by different things. And, and for every person, it can be at a different time in their life. So what I've put down here is that it can happen often in your 20s and 30s, and that's really true. Sometimes it happens to like seven-year-olds. It can happen to a, a little kid that this beautiful foundation that they've been handed suddenly gets disrupted. They find themselves in disequilibrium. They don't know which end is up. When I was doing my dissertation, I met with a group of students and asked them about these times in their life where they felt this sense of disequilibrium and they didn't know which end was up. And the stories that they were telling me were really hard stories. Stories about people in their life passing away when they were young. People in, in their life who got sick. People in their life uh, who had hard things happen to them. And they didn't have any way of explaining it, at least not with the foundation that they were given, not with the faith they were handed. Uh, I had one student who was telling me about uh, being raised in a cult-like setting. And when their family decided that this wasn't a healthy environment for them, nobody in their town would talk to them anymore. And that completely disrupted and created disorder for, their, for her entire life. Her complete conception of who God was, what God was all about, was disrupted when her entire community said, you don't get to be a part of us anymore because you don't want to be around us. We don't want to be around you. And so these, these disruptions can, and this, this idea of disequilibrium can happen at many, many stages in life. The reason why that Fowler talks about it happening most often in your 20s and 30s is because that's when people typically leave home for the first time is they typically leave home and they go and have new experiences, new relationships, new ways of seeing the world. I, I, working in higher ed for uh, 17 years, man, I had so many conversations with students that were sitting right in the middle of this disequilibrium. They were going to class and they were hearing a professor talk about the Bible in a way that they had never heard before, and they thought that professor was Looney Tunes. They were like, who is this person and why are they talking about God this way? This makes absolutely no sense to the way I was raised. And then they'd go home at Thanksgiving and tell their parents about it. And then their parents would call and be like, what are you doing to my kid who had such a beautiful faith that we gave them? And now they're coming home asking all these really big questions in life and they don't trust us anymore. And then we have to say, well, okay, slow down. That's not our intent. We're not trying to make them hate you but we're just trying to help them think critically and try to ask good questions in life because that's what this time of life is for, is to meet new people and to hear new stories. You know, so many people that I talked to growing up in a really conservative environment that I grew up in and then going to a conservative institution like Bethel that I went to, um, people always talk about how Bethel changed my life, Bethel changed my life. I can't actually say that that happened. Bethel was, for me, a continuation of what I always knew growing up. It was the school I was supposed to go to. It was the faith that I was supposed to have. It was the exact friend group that I was supposed to be around. It was the wife I was supposed to marry. It all was exactly the way it was planned out to be. My life did not have disequilibrium at Bethel because everything that I heard, I was just like, yeah, that supports what I know. And so it firmed up my container even more. What ended up happening was we left Minnesota, my wife and I, and we went to Tennessee, and suddenly we're around a whole new culture, a whole new group of people, and I have this mentor in my life who hands me a book and says, read this, and then come talk to me. And I read the book, and I went, what are you, do what in the world is this? Like, what is this? 
And the book was The Secret Message of Jesus by Brian McLaren. I'll never forget reading it for the first time. When I read that book, it was talking about the gospel in a way that I had never heard before. And I could not understand how no one had ever said anything like this before. And it made me question everything I grew up thinking. Everything. And it threw me into a place of disequilibrium. Thankfully, what I had around me was a supportive environment for that disequilibrium, for those questions, for the wrestling that needed to take place. Because when we find ourselves in these places of disequilibrium, as, as Fowler talks about, there are three options that we have. We can wrestle with the new ideas and then expand and include those ideas, include those stories, include those people that are different from us, that are raised different from us, that come from different places than us, that have different life experiences than us. We can either expand and include and honor and respect, and we can wrestle and ask questions and get curious, or we can retreat and surrender, which basically means, I'm sorry, that story's too much for me. I'm sorry, I can't handle what you're talking about. I'm going back to what I've always known. I don't want to deal with anything like that. And so I just need to get back in my comfortable box and stay here. I don't want to deal with anything that makes me feel this way. And that's what would happen to a lot of students that I worked with, is that they would start asking these questions and get really uncomfortable. And then they would just be like, I'm doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on what I've always known because anything else makes me feel too uncomfortable. And part of that is because they didn't have the support system to do the work to do the wrestling, and to do the expanding, and to do the including. Sometimes what can happen is the third option is that we can switch and leave behind. And so what happens here is that, and this is my experience working at a place I did, is that students would come to a place, they would hear a certain professor or a certain pastor speak in chapel, and then they'd be like, I love everything that person says. I don't like anything anyone's ever said to me before. Therefore, I'm switching allegiances to, to this group as opposed to this group. And what they've actually done is not really grown and expanded. They've just switched allegiances to which box they want to sit in. And that's understandable. And that's part of the growth process is trying on new things and trying to see, does this fit me? Is this who I am? Is this where I should be? Is this a voice I should listen to? And that's part of the journey. But the problem is that we're still in that external space. We're still giving up control of what we believe to someone else to say, now you shape me. Now you tell me what to think. Now you explain it all. And you give me all the, la the rationale for this belief system. And so we can either wrestle and expand we can retreat and surrender, or we can switch and leave behind everything that we've known. For a time in my life, it was so easy to switch and leave behind. I was in a different state. I wasn't around anybody that I grew up with. I wasn't around my parents as often. And when I was, we would just argue a lot. And so I was switching without including, without really expanding. So that's where I found myself. So Okay, that's Fowler. That's getting to disequilibrium. That's getting to that place of wrestling. I'm going to introduce you to a third theorist. Okay, can you handle that? Are we, do we need to take a deep breath? Like, okay, this is really like college now. Okay, here we go. Another theory. Okay, this is James Marcia's identity development theory. Identity development is different from spiritual formation, but not by much, which is why I'm using it. Because your identity is just who you are, what, how you make sense of the world, how you find yourself in the world. Our faith does a lot of the same thing, which is why identity and faith can actually be fairly similar ideas here. 
So the two big ideas for Marcia is the idea of commitment and crisis. Commitment and crisis. You have to have some of both, okay? What are you committed to, and does your, lo- does your life have any crisis in it? When you have a low sense of commitment and a low sense of crisis in your life, whatever. Like, that's your response to everything in life. And anyone, I see a lot of smiles and smirks going on. Why? Because that's exactly what you've experienced or what your kids have experienced or what you've heard before or what you watch on TV or whatever it is, is this place of, eh, whatevs, you know, like, you just don't care. Like, I don't, I don't need an answer to that. I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Do what, do what you want to do. I don't care. That's a low level of commitment. It's also a low level of crisis. Nothing's actually disrupting your life enough for you to care about it. You're not committed to anything enough to be passionate, but you're not dealing with anything heavy enough to move through it. When you have a high sense of commitment, you know your values, you have your container, you got your box, you got your foundation, you feel like everything's in order, you know where everything is and you have an answer for it all, but you don't have a lot of crisis, that's when you're creating a foundation. So we talked about last week, is a life that has a lot of commitment, but doesn't have a lot of crisis involved with it. When that happens, we find ourselves in disequilibrium. And disequilibrium is when the crisis is high, like we just talked about, and the commitment is kind of being questioned a little bit. Do I really want to believe this anymore? Do I really want to hold on to this? Do I really want to worship here? Do I really want to believe the same things as that person in my life? Is that really who I want to be? So your commitment and your values are being questioned Why? Because the crisis or the situation in your life, this disequilibrium in your life is really high. Now, Marcia would say we actually need both. We need both ideas in order to truly move into a full sense of who we are. And we really own who we are. And we really feel confident about who we are, that we do have to have values. We do have to have a sense of commitment And we have to be okay with a little uncertainty, a little disequilibrium. Why? I mean, I don't know. Raise your hand if you think life is a little chaotic once in a while, right? Like, raise your hand if you think chaos might be coming around the corner in 2023, right? I mean, if you're not already in it, it's probably coming. Like, I mean, that's that's the idea of adulthood, right, is that we recognize, oh, man, there's never going to be a day where it just stops. (laughs) Like, it just keeps happening. Like, There's no stopping the chaos. There's no stopping the I don't know what's next way of living. Like that is just life. Life is chaotic. And when we can come to accept that, accept that we don't always know what's coming around the bend, that we don't always know how we're going to handle everything, then we can start to figure out who are we really? Who am I really when I don't always have the answers to everything? Because I can't possibly know everything. So this is Marcia's identity development model. Whatever, foundation, disequilibrium, ownership, based on commitment and crisis. Here's what I would like to say. In order to move into this idea of ownership of your identity and of your faith and this healthy foundation, this healthy place that you want to be, we need to see our commitments moving into compassion. You still have to be committed to things. You still have to have values, but now you have them compassionately. What I mean by compassionately is that you recognize that someone else may have different values than you, but that's okay because because you have compassion for that person and you appreciate that they have values in their life. 
that they have something that they are living by. And so we have a sense of compassion. And we need to maybe see that word crisis a little differently. I think crisis can be a hard word, especially if you're in the midst of a crisis or have been through times of crisis. That word can be like, hey, don't use that word. That's been my life. That's not fair for you to take that word and apply it to everyone in the whole world. My life has actually been crisis. Your life's been cushy. Let's, let's, let's not use that. I get that. So let's move from crisis to curiosity. From crisis to curiosity. We need to be curious people. If we're curious people with a sense of compassion, now we can be people who are ready to meet whatever life throws our way and to have faith be something that can ground us and a faith that is developmental as opposed to a faith that can get rocked when life gets hard. So if our faith is going to be mature, if our faith is going to be healthy, we need to be compassionate people that are curious. And that's how we move into that. That's how we move into that place of ownership. Which gets me to back to Fowler, okay? So I know we're switching from theorist to theorist. Like, it's, like theory, it's like theorist ping pong here. Okay, so back to Fowler. The fourth stage of Fowler, after we recognize disequilibrium is a part of life and it's part of our journey, it's part of what we go through, whether that's when we're seven and we have some tragedy in our life or whether that's when we're 20 and we go off and we leave home for the first time or we're 40 and there's a pastor standing in front of you saying things that are making you go, what? I don't understand anything. Yes, whatever the disequilibrium or the, or the, 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 the disorder is, is when you, when you accept that, you start to ask the question, okay, what do I really think? And this is what we, what, what, how we move towards a more mature sense of faith, is that we, we actually ask no longer, what does that person think? What does that church think? What does that other person think? What's that influencer say? What does that celebrity say? Instead, you go, what do I actually think? Like, I can, I'm a human. I can make up my mind about this. I don't have to agree with the most popular person. I don't have to agree with the entire peer group. I don't have to agree with what my parents said. I don't have to agree with the smartest person in the room says. I'm a human. I can decide for myself. So our faith becomes more personal. It becomes more introspective. It can also become a little overconfident, okay? So we got to like hold on for two weeks from now when we move into the reorder because we have to recognize that as much as we are moving in the, the faith cycle from order to disorder, we don't stop just because we've been through a little disorder. We have to recognize that the reorder is part of the challenge too. And so our faith has to become our own. It has to become our faith. Here's what I believe and here's why. Here's why I believe what I believe. Here are the values that I hold. Here's the compassion and the commitments I've made. Here's where I'm being curious. It has to be yours. It can't just be, well, my pastor once said, or, oh, you know, the people at my small group said, or, you know, my church believes. Now, those are all fine statements to start with, but what do you think? What does Bob think, right? What does Torin think, right? What do you guys think? What does Becky think? That's what we have to be asking ourselves, is what do you think about these things? We need faith to be both both something that is shaped by those around us, but also becomes personal. So here are some questions for us to have as we kind of ponder this next part of our series on how we grow. When has your, been faith, when has your faith been hard to hold on to? At what point in life did you first recognize, man, everything that I've been told, I just don't know. I just don't know. And for some of you, it may have been really early on, 
For some of you, it may have been later on in life, may have been due to a specific relationship that you had, right? Which, what circumstance made you question what you believe? What was the circumstance? So, so when, when has your faith been hard to hold on to, and what circumstance made you question what you believe? So we're, yeah, so many times I'll have a student that used to walk into my office and they would say, why is there evil in the world, right? Massive theological question. Very interesting that you're coming to my office to ask that. And I would always say, oh, interesting. What do you think? And then they'd tell me something and I'd be like, here's a better question. What brought that question on? What brought that question on? And then 10 out of 10 times, that student would tell me about something that happened back home or something that happened in their life, something they were going through because they couldn't, their faith couldn't make sense of it, couldn't make sense of the disruption and the disorder and the disequilibrium they were experiencing. And there was a circumstance that had instigated that. So circumstances in life often instigate these moments of disorder and disequilibrium. In uncertain times, what have you held on to? So when you've been in these times of disorder, where, what's anchored you? What have you held on to? Is it a relationship? Is it a space like this? Is it reading something? What is it? Is it, is it I mean, I've listened to this song on repeat over and over and over, and it anchored me. Like, for all of us, it's going to be something different. Who's encouraged you to wrestle with your faith? The only way we grow is if we're in community that allows us to and encourage us to do so. We need one another to push us to do this work. So who in your life has encouraged you to think critically, to ask hard questions, to wrestle with your faith? And then finally, why can this seem so scary? Some of you are like, it's not scary at all. It's just my life. I do this all the time. I love this stuff. For others of you, it's like, man, going through this was the scariest thing I ever did. Why? Why? And, I, and whatever the answer is, it's fine. But, but why can this seem so scary to ask these questions of our faith? So part two, disordered development. Life is chaotic. Life comes at us in ways that we don't always understand, that we're not ready for. And it can unmoor, it can, it can shake even the firmest of foundations of faith. Sometimes it's just meeting someone hearing their story and going, I didn't have a category for your life. I didn't understand that that's the way life could be lived. You are opening up a whole new way for me. Whatever it is, whatever it is, that disorder, a disorder can be really challenging. It can also be an invitation. So let's hold the disequilibrium. Let's hold the disorder less as something that is rocking our world so much that we don't know which end is up, but instead say, you know, this moment right here, this could be the invitation that I've been waiting for, an invitation to grow, to be a compassionate, curious person who can show up in the world and try to be love, try to be hospitality, try to be some justice, try to be some grace. That's what we're moving towards. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for we're grateful for Jesus's way of asking hard questions of his community. This community that had such a long, beautiful history of providing a foundation of faith 
But Jesus models the willingness to ask hard questions and to offer new ideas. And so God, we know that life is hard. We know that life can be chaotic. We know that sometimes the things that we're told are not accurate. Sometimes they're just not us. And so God, may we be people who are willing to wrestle, willing to question, willing to doubt, willing to do the hard work of continuing even when it feels like we don't know where we're going to end up. May we be people who ask the question. May we be willing to enter into the disorder and the disequilibrium and see it as an invitation into growth. You've called us to love with all of our minds. That's not a mistake. The critical way that we think and we question is not an accident. God, you've invited us into that. May we be people who do that. May we do it in community. May we do it with faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So a couple quick announcements. One, family game nights are back, and we're excited to invite the entire church community family to come. This one's going to take place January 29th at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. We'll have some drinks and desserts for you. If you can bring something to share, that would be great. If you have a game that you want to encourage people to play, that would be awesome too. I know that this is a big football Sunday. It's the championship games to go to the Super Bowl Sunday. And so if we're able to get the games, we will wheel a big monitor in there and put the games on the TV so that way we can watch a little football, eat some good food, hang out with each other. It should be a fun time. So please, you don't have to sign up for this. You just bring something to share and show up. We'll be there with some desserts and drinks ready to have a good time. Second announcement, Encore, tonight at 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall Lounge with Amanda. So if you are in middle school or high school, we invite you to come hang out uh, with the rest of the group that tonight at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall Lounge. If I am not mistaken, Amanda's got a video picked out. It's about a 12-minute video, and then there'll be a discussion afterwards along with some games and hangout time, and all that kind of goes into Encore. So it should be a really... Uh, fun night for you all. We are going to be doing our final uh, conference uh, of the this season. So if you're not familiar with the Methodist way of things, we have to do these meetings. We call them conferences, where we as a community gather to approve certain things, like the pastor's salary, like the budget, um, like who's in leadership on different committees that we have to have. And so the upcoming charge conference is February 5th. We're going to do it right after the service. Basically, we'll wrap up the service, grab a snack, use the restroom, meet back in here, and then we will talk through the budget and approve it um, as, a, as a group. And so that will take place on Sunday, February 5th. Second or third or fourth, I don't know what announcement we're on. We uh, started a podcast. So many of you know that we had video for a while, um, and it was going really well. Things changed a little bit. We had some people leave. We had some just changes happen. And so um, what we didn't have for a long time is any way for people to catch up with what we were doing here on Sundays. And so the simplest thing we could think of to do was to start a podcast. And so what you can now do is go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you normally get your, your podcast. If you podcast, if you have no idea how to download a podcast, come talk to me. I'll help you do it. Um, it happens on your phone. Um, we can download the Peace podcast. You can become... Uh, you can subscribe to it, and that way every time there's a new message, it will automatically download into your podcast feed, and you can stay up to date with the messages that are going on here on Sundays. And so check out Peace the Podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. 
peace prayers. Peace prayers is our way of gathering information from you about things that you want prayer for, whether that's a prayer need or an opportunity to celebrate something of gratitude that you've experienced. Um, so there's going to be a form sent out every week in the Tuesday news. There's a link. All you have to do is click on the link and fill in the information for whatever prayer request or celebration that you have. And then we will either print that in the bulletin, put it on the monitor in the comments, um, or put it in the Tuesday news. So we are going to make sure that we are letting people know how you can pray for one another. Um, this is separate from the prayer chain. The prayer chain is a very specific uh, prayer request that goes out to people on the prayer chain that can pray. That is private to the prayer chain, um, whereas this is public to anyone that subscribes to Tuesday News or shows up on a Sunday. So just want you to be aware of the difference. In the form, there's a box to check if you want it to also go to the prayer chain. So we are trying to be very distinct about the difference between the two. But we want to be able to support one another and, and know what's going on in people's lives. And so if you know of someone who gets sick or someone who um, just has, is going through something, you can ask them, like, hey, do you want the church to be praying for you? Because they might not think to fill out that form in the state that they're in or whatever their circumstance may be. But if you ask them, can I, can I let the church know to pray for you? That might be an opportunity to fill that out and let us all know how we can be praying and celebrating with one another. The last thing before uh, we move to the invitation of the bell is we are, and if you've looked at the website really closely, you may have seen this, uh, but probably not. On the website, on the bottom left-hand side, we have a place for the different uh, employment opportunities that we have open. So we are uh, looking for um, an audio technician. Uh, Brody is helping us out and doing a wonderful job, but Brody will also graduate. And Brody's also not fully trained in being an audio tech. And so we are looking for a more permanent audio tech that has experience in that area. One of the things that we are also looking for is um, someone to take on 18 to 20 hours of uh, youth and family ministry. Um, Amanda has been doing an, an awesome, wonderful job, and uh, but, but Amanda also has like three jobs. Um, and so as we are looking for this to be a, a, a heightened emphasis in our community, we recognize the need to uh, up the hours of that role. And so we are looking for an 18 to 20 hour a week person to help with youth and family. Um, and, and so that job has been sent out to someone in the conference. It's been posted on the website. It's been sent to the local colleges. And so if you know of someone who you think might be a good fit, um, send them to our website, send them my email. We want to be able to track down the right person for that role. So, um, so we can really, um, you know, pour some good hours into, into that, uh, into that for our families and our, and our youth. May we be people who appreciate whatever foundation of faith we've been handed. May we be people who are willing to say the commitments of life are, are meaningful. May we be people who recognize that there's going to be chaos and crisis, and that as we move towards compassion and curiosity, we can become the type of people that truly bring love and grace into the world. May you be compassion. May you be curious in all that life has for you because that is where the good stuff is. That's where God will meet you, is right in the midst of it. May you go in grace. May you go in peace. We'll see you next week. Reverend Linda's up next week, so make sure you're here.